Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Wealthy. Before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to just remind you that if you are enjoying the content that we're creating, you're liking the guests and getting something out of it, please like, subscribe and pass it on to all your friends that might find it helpful. And remember that all of this is ultimately so you can learn how to build wealth through property. If you have an existing portfolio or you're looking to start that journey, feel free to reach out to me and the team and we'll find out ways that we can help you. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the next episode. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Wealthy. Yes, we have rebranded Cribs to Wealthy. This is the first podcast that we're doing this. And what better way to do this than to launch it with Harley Dale, one of the executive directors from HIA. That's the Housing Industry Association. Now, Harley Dale has been doing this for over 25 years. He's an economist and one of only very few select economists in Australia who have worked across the four out of the five core economic areas. That's academia, consultancy, financial markets, and industry. He has held a variety of roles, primarily in Australia, but also in New Zealand, Hong Kong, and the United Kingdom. He's um, joined the HIA uh, back in 2003 and has been there all the way through till now um, as one of the head economists and has worked his way through the whole of the industry and has been super impactful in informing all of us about the property market, the building association, and now currently working in trying to um, with the labor markets. Harley, thank you very much for coming in on this podcast and um, sharing some of your insights. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been wanting to, as I said to you earlier, I've been wanting to talk to you and, and, and your team at HIA for a while. I read a lot of your reporting and it's critically important to the research that I do with my clients. Um, before we kick it all off, can we just start with some of the more simpler questions? Um, and, and can you just explain what the HIA is as an organization, what you do? Well, the, the Housing Industry Association is a, a, is a private sector, not-for-profit organisation. Uh, and I guess the, the, the best way to describe it is we basically represent anybody that's got anything to do with housing. So they might be a builder, uh, they might be a renovator, they might, might be a, a land developer, they might be a real estate agent, they might be... Uh, a big manufacturer like you see on the on the listed stock exchange like a CSR or a, uh, a Borrell, for example, or they might be uh, uh, suppliers of building materials like, um, you know, the showers that you, you use or in your bathrooms or the toilets that you use in your, in yep. your, in, in your bathrooms. Uh, we represent uh, uh, the, the broad cross-country, I guess, if you like, of, Anything that's involved in anything to do that is basically involved with building a roof over people's heads in Australia. Wow, that's all-encompassing. And and to help some of our listeners get a, a firmer footing or understanding of what you talk about, um, what are some of the reports and things that you're more commonly known for? I mean, I certainly follow you because I liked some of the reports you put out on housing supply, um, building codes. Um, would would I be uh, correct in saying that, you know, people should be following you for those types of resources? Oh, look, absolutely. We have a, we have a broad uh, of, uh, of, of, of uh, policy uh, people, I guess you'd call them, that um, 
have expertise in economics, they have expertise in forecasting, uh, they have expertise in contracts, in uh, in uh, legal and industrial relations, in uh, planning and land development, uh, and uh, in all sorts of different facets of whatever might be involved in uh, the housing industry. And uh, our role is basically to help our our 60,000 or so member businesses to, I guess, navigate themselves through the uh, the complexities that can be involved in uh, uh, in actually uh, trying to do something to uh, you know to, to to build more more housing and create more housing and create more value in the housing industry for uh, uh, for Australia. Well, that's a really good segue to my first question, then, Harley. So, I want to ask you. Recently, there's been a few issues and a lot of reporting about brand new construction, particularly for off-the-plan apartments with, you know, fire rating and, and, you know, basements and all sorts of things. And there's people have called into question our, our building codes and our standards. So I want to talk a little bit like that, if that's okay. Now, I suppose the first question is, how good or rigorous are the building standards in Australia compared to some of the more international markets? And what, what do you think about them? Uh, well, look, it's it's well known that Australia's building standards and quality standards are are amongst the strongest and uh, most rigorous uh, held up uh, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a tough question in the sense that um, we, we do have a a, a, a building ministers uh, forum happening almost as we speak, where state, uh, territory, and federal ministers are meeting to discuss this very issue that you rightly point out is quite pertinent at the moment about the uh, the quality of, of, of building in Australia. Uh, and, and I think the very fact that um, there's a, a convening of, uh, of senior uh, people around the country uh, right here, right now, uh, serves to the fact that um, uh, we take our quality very, very seriously and we take our building standards very seriously. Uh, it's an ongoing uh, conversation that I think we need to have, but um, uh, you, you can have a few uh, isolated incidents, and I don't in any way mean to take away from the severity of, of the impact some of those incidents might have had on, on particular uh, homeowners. But um, it, you know, if you look at the fact that... Um, uh, only a couple of years ago, Australia built a record 230 to 140,000 odd uh, new dwellings in a single year, uh, some, you know, 30% higher than any other uh, level we'd ever reached before as a peak. Uh, and, and yet the majority of those buildings are of strong quality, uh, stands to the fact that um, while we do have some challenges, I think we're working those through. And I think that's exactly what's happening right now. I completely agree. I actually say that quite often that largely we build 200,000 odd homes and I think that most, a large majority of builders, developers come in with the best of intentions to build the best quality products that they can do. Sometimes you can't help uh, that some will fall through the cracks and it is certainly unfortunate. But, you know, when there was a boom, there was a lot of new entrants coming into the market and I think that some of that has to attribute that inexperienced professionals are coming in, they don't understand it or trying to cut, you know, some 
costs or to cut time, which is typically the part that they're trying to save on. And then that's where things can come, you know, unstuck or some issues can arise. Um, let me ask you now, where do you see the industry making the most improvements? Because if we do have such high standards, uh, where do you see that the major improvements can be made within our industry? The, the resident construction industry in Australia has always been a very uh, dynamic industry. Um, we've always been seeking to make improvements. We have some world-leading manufacturers, for example, uh, in Australia, if you take uh, companies like uh, CSR, if you take companies like uh, Oral, who are constantly uh, improving the building materials from which homes are built uh, in this country. We, we have some really cutting-edge technology, and we always have, uh, and we'll always be pushing the boundaries and looking to make uh, improvements, and I think we'll continue to do so. Uh, in terms of the quality issue, well, I think that comes down to just letting uh, the uh, the conversations that are going on at government levels right now take their course, uh, and and we'll uh, we'll learn from that. But I think the industry itself has always prided itself on being uh, very proud on the proud of the quality that it produces. For example, 60% or more of everything we produce is still a, uh, a single or double story detached house that uh, you know a family aspires to uh, move into with three or four bedrooms and one or two garages and, uh, and you know, they like the finer improvements to that kind of home uh, and we're looking at better uh, building materials and better ways and more efficient ways of producing that 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 kind of product. That's that, that's the that's the kind of improvement that the the industry is always focused on. And I think as technology continues to gather pace as it does right around every industry in the in the country, we'll continue to do that as well. And uh, Australians can look forward to a better and better uh, housing with better and better uh, types. Uh, uh, to, to, to protect them uh, in, in their family home. Awesome. I'm glad to hear. We'll have to keep a keen attention to see what does come out of government and what new legislation or what conversations will come as a result of that. Um, now, I wanted to ask you something while we're talking about government. Um, one of the articles I read recently is your comments on the proposed annual population statement. Um, that's a lot of words there, but can you, can you give us a little bit of insight what that is and, and what it means for us? Well, population growth uh, rather than population statement has become something of a, uh, a, a catch cry for uh, discussion and I guess controversy uh, in, uh, in Australia in, in, in recent years. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that we are like everyone around the globe, we are an ageing economy. Uh, we have uh, more and more people that are, are reaching retirement age uh, and uh, as those people reach retirement age, uh, we need to ensure we have sufficient people of working age uh, that can be building homes and, uh, and doing all sorts of things. It could be 
sweeping the streets, it could be selling you a coffee, it could be building you a home, it could be, you know, providing you with a uh, with advice on what sneaker you want to advise to buy in a retail store in a in, in a uh, you know a big Westfield complex. Could be anything, but we need working age people uh, of sufficient number to support the, the the fact that we have an aging population, and that's where it's important that. We need to grow our population uh, in a way that we can support those that supported us uh, before uh, before we were of working age, if you like. Yep. Uh, and that's that's that, that's where it becomes very important to ensure that we not only skill up our own domestic workforce and ensure that people have the skills not only for today but for tomorrow, but we also ensure that we have sufficient skilled migration coming in from overseas so that we have a sufficient uh, working age population to support those that are aging. That makes perfect sense. I mean, we we need more people coming into the country, paying taxes. We need educated workforce. We need to be contributing to the economy, but also supporting, as you said, the aging um, population. Now, what is this proposed uh, population statement or this th- th- that government is discussing? I think from, from memory in the article, it was more or less along the lines of government putting or producing more reports or accurate reports where there is population growth, where people are moving and using that statement as a indicator or a, uh, a method for people that are trying to construct to then say, well, this is where we should be building this type of housing. Am I correct in assuming that? Oh, look, I, I, I think the, the basic premise of your point is... is, is fundamental to Australia's future in that we need to have uh, more knowledge and more information uh, about uh, where our population is growing, where our population is coming from, where our population is moving to uh, than we have before. And the more information we can have, uh, then the more informed, obviously, we can be uh, about how to uh, best and best in, in uh, future housing development and, and future uh, building of schools and future building of uh, community facilities uh, and, and and all sorts of other uh, infrastructure, including of course things like well, obvious things like roads and railways and and, and more the more t- big ticket items that tend to capture the attention of the media at the current uh, current point in time. So. Focusing on knowing more about the population is really focusing on on knowing, well, uh, you know, we have this certain group of people. This group of people is growing by a certain amount. Uh, where are they going? Where do they? Where do we think they are going? Where do we think they should be going? It's, it, it's a strategic focus, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's a strategic focus on thinking about, well, where in the future... Do we think people uh, will best have the best standard of living they can in Australia and how can we help facilitate that? And Australia hasn't always been uh, very good at doing that, but we're, we're starting to have a red hot go at trying to get it right. 
Look, I, I agree with you, Harley. This is part of the research that I like to do and it, it fascinates me. I, I love listening to some of the work of demograph- um, demographers in Australia and I think following where people are going, what, how many people are coming into the country, what ethnicities, what areas they're interested in is a way for us property investors to put our finger on the pulse and understand where the demand is going to be. And then that's, that's the opportunity really for um, anyone willing to do the research and find out, well, these are the next, I suppose, growth markets. Um, now, currently, where can investors learn about population and housing demand? Have you got any insight that you could share on that? Look, I, I think at the moment that, that, that there are a number of um, uh, of sources around where you can track uh, population generally and you can look at uh, uh, how growth trends are, are, are tracking in an aggregate sense. Um, I guess from an investor uh, perspective, I, I, would, uh, I would say that Sometimes it, it, it's helpful to look beyond the uh, traditional focus that we have on the three eastern seaboard capital city markets. I mean, we all know that most of Australia's population uh, lives in Sydney, uh, Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, or, or the greater areas surrounding that. Um, but there are there are some really strong regional stories happening in, in New South Wales, in Victoria, uh, in Queensland, indeed in South Australia, uh, in Western Australia. Uh, and uh, to, to look at those, I think it's about just doing a little bit of, uh, a little bit more than just a touch over research on the net, I guess I'd say. Um, and, and, and just looking at, Sources that might be talking more about a regional story rather than just the capital-centric story because the capital-centric story will always be there because that's the nature of our uh, lifestyle and uh, we, we have this natural uh, affection for living by the coast and that's why that's where the majority of our population is. But there are... So many internal regional growth stories, uh, and and I'd be looking for insights that you find from people that focus on looking at those regional markets. And the key about those regional markets is that housing prices grow where employment grows, because people will not go somewhere unless they can find a job. And if people can go somewhere in a regional area, and find a job and feel happier than they did in a capital city, then they will do so. But in order to do so, they need to have a a house, don't they? So, you know, the housing demand follows the labour demand. And I think that kind of regional analysis is the kind of thing that uh, can be quite helpful to investors at this point in time where we tend to get a little bit carried away and almost shell-shocked at times by the, the ebbs and flows of the aggregate capital city uh, data, if you like, that we get flooded with on a, on a month-to-month basis. 
So can I ask you, Harley, what are some of these sources that you and your economists actually reference? Is it just the ABS that we can look at or, you know, um, ID property or uh, population? Is there anything else that we can sink our teeth into or people that you listen to or like reporting from that we can, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth or see where the raw data comes from? Yeah, well, look, to, to be honest, I, I, I don't look at anybody in particular. I, I do look at the ABS quite closely, but that's because I'm an economist by heart, and so mm. uh, I'm a little bit of a numbers nerd, I suppose, and, yeah. and most uh, property investors, understandably, uh, can't be expected to be like that. But um, I, I think it's more a case of if you, if you start tapping into just general... Uh, Property sources, sources of daily property news that, 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 that pop up. They might not seem like they're about real estate prices or they might not seem like they're about activity. Um, but you look for little anecdotes here and there and slowly but surely, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. You, you slowly but surely build up all these people you've never really heard of and you, you can't even really remember that you look at them and you go, oh, then that's a bit interesting. I might follow that one away, and 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 it's about just keeping an eye on 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 regional news, I suppose, as well as national news. And from that, you tend to pick up real estate news. Mm, okay, that's that's a good bit of insight. Um, now, can I talk to you a little bit? So we've touched on demand, if you will, population, population growth. Um, you know where the jobs are going to be. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about supply, if you will. Um, can can you give us a little bit of insight on current building approvals and what they've been like over the past couple of years and sort of how they've changed? Well, well, I guess that depends on on, on where you're talking about it. I mean, in an aggregate sense, uh, we had a massive, massive housing boom uh, from a building perspective. Uh, and uh, building approvals at a national level have fallen uh, very heavily uh, from from that uh, hefty peak of uh, two two and a half years ago now. Mm. Uh, and it, it looks like the uh, the situation is beginning to bottom out, which is kind of sort of in keeping with what you would expect because a, a, a new home building cycle is a cyclical thing. Uh, and uh, we, we, you know, we have seen a tremendous upcycle, or we've seen a quite sharp downcycle, uh, and 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 things are probably starting to bottom out. Uh, at at the, the peak of the upcycle, we probably built about as many homes as people required. In, in in some areas there was oversupply, but in other areas there was undersupply. Um, now we've reached a point where we've probably fallen far enough uh, that uh, we're getting to a point where in the next couple of years um, there's going to be demand for housing again because there's not going to be uh, enough supply. Uh, and that's, I guess, when an investor's ears should prick up and, and, and start looking uh, at, at, at opportunities, but not in an aggregate sense, in a uh, you know, in a in a regional sense or in a sub city sense, it's not something that happens in an aggregate way where all of a sudden, you know, the whole of Sydney fires up again, or mm. or even the whole of the 
of a large, um, uh, 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 you know, domestic region, you know, like um, uh, like a Hobart, for example, fires up again. It, 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 there's, there's parts that fire up ahead of others, but we are at a point now where I think we've um, we've exhausted all the um, all the excess supply, uh, and uh, we soaked all that up. Uh, and we're in a point now where we're, we're going to need to start building more. If you, if you look at Australia's population growth rate, it's it's still amongst the, uh, the the fastest in the developed world. It might not be as fast by Australian standards as it, as it initially was at its peak, you know, a, a few years ago. But by uh, international standards, it's a very fast rate of population growth, and of course that. Uh, um, encourages interest from uh, foreign investors who see Australia as a very stable, uh, very strong uh, economy uh, within which to invest in residential property when the, when the cycle is uh, is bottoming out. And I, I sense that we're at that that point where uh, the, the you know the cycle is is bottoming out. It's it's not about what residential property prices are doing in Sydney or Melbourne right now. I know the media's got a fixation with that uh, at the moment, but uh, those prices are being driven off very low uh, volumes of residential property transactions. Mm. Uh, what you need to look for as an, as an investor uh, is when the actual uh, uh, amount being built uh, in uh, in major markets and regional markets starts to creep up again. Uh, and that's your sign that the next up cycle is um, uh, uh, coming on. That's interesting. I've been reading some of your reports, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, please. Uh, it sounds like the market supply that's come onto the market, uh, the, the approval rating has come back sort of 40-odd percent or something crazy since the, the peak and only now it's really coming back up, but but it's often extremely low base. And it feels like with these types of uh, data coming in, it's it's what an eighteen to twenty four months, even thirty six month turnaround time. Because by the time you get your approval in, it's at least twenty four months before the the apartments or houses come onto the market. So uh, I think I want to just add to your point that. Yeah, it looks like in the next couple of years we will have some issues, but it will be pinpoint. You can't judge this in aggregate. We're going to have to look at specific markets and and monitor the supply that's coming into those markets and say, well, hey, this looks like there's going to be a, a bit of a shortfall. Now, talking about that, where can buyers make themselves aware about incoming supply? Like, how do they get a handle on this data? Where does it come from? Well, most of your 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 um what you'd call leading indicators of, uh, of activity um, are actually very aggregate uh, in nature, uh, as in they tend to apply to states or capital cities uh, versus the non-metro part of New South Wales, for example. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to get it a little bit more isolated than that, but it's sufficient to give you a a read on 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 where overall things are likely to, to 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 start to turn around, and that's where I say that I think we're we're close to reaching a um, a, a, a bottom in the current cycle. And, and your point about the magnitude of the decline 
is a, is a good one. It was a you know, it was a very very hefty decline, but let's also remember that it was a hefty decline from a record high. Mm, mm. So where we are now is effectively um, you know about you know the high of what we'd achieved um, you know decades and decades through to a, a, uh, about 2007, 2008. Uh, you know, it's only in, in the post-GFC era that we've seen this massive, massive uh, rise in, in building, albeit mainly driven by medium-high density dwellings. Uh, but, you know, a 40% drop now uh, is very different to what a 40% drop would have looked like uh, for those investors that had lived through the GFC or the the um, uh, the, the the early 90s recession or the early 80s recession before that, um, you know, we're, we're still at very elevated levels by historical standards. Is it uh, enough? And, and, so, and sorry the to interrupt. Any cycle is still to, you know, when it turns, like you know, when it turns, it will turn. Is is the current levels of construction enough at its current rates to meet the the demands that are being met um that are coming for property? Oh look. I, Right now, it probably is because we do have the elephant in the room, which is the, the, the uh, even with the easing and, and credit conditions, we still have historically speaking pretty restrictive uh, credit conditions uh, out there in terms of um, of buying residential property, and uh, th- those um, those constraints will, will will be around for a long time. They're not as uh, in an official sense. Uh, as um, uh, as large uh, as they were, say, 18 months, two years ago, uh, but they're still there. Mm. Uh, and um, we will, I, I think, see a recovery this time around that is constrained uh, by the availability of credit for people to develop residential property and for people to buy uh, residential property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you know, if you're a if you're a quality risk, uh, then you you're in the tent. And in the next 12, 18 months, probably your time to be thinking about you know what you, what you want to do with your tent and um, you know where you want to take it. Um, but if you're not in the tent, it's going to be very hard to get in the tent. So the next cycle is probably going to be driven by a lower level of transaction volumes than we've seen in previous cycles. And indeed, the last cycle was driven by a lower level of residential property transactions than the one before was. Uh, and I, unfortunately, that's just a credit environment we're probably going to live in. Um, but you still need to recognise the fact that um, we're, we're near a bottom of the cycle. Uh, if, uh, if you have... Uh, an ability to avail yourself of, of, of credit, uh, then it's probably around the time, first half of 2020, to, to get your house in order, have a look at things, consider some options because, um, you know, the upside is probably going to start coming from 2021. Interesting. So we've heard it here first. Uh, Harley's saying that, you know, next year we should be looking at getting some of that credit, jumping into the market. And it was interesting what you said there, that you believe the next cycle will come as a result of a limited um, transaction. So people are less willing to sell their homes or to sell their investments. Um, 
I find that fascinating. It's it's as if people can just afford to hold properties on for longer and they've kind of listened to that age-old saying of, you know, never sell property or hold on to it as long as possible. Harley, thank well, you. I, I, I think it's partly that, but I, I think it's also the demand side as well in mm. that uh, I think a lot of those people would be happy to sell. It will be, it will be the ability to find the buyers who can avail themselves of the credit to be able to have the money to purchase those properties that the sellers would ideally offload because that's what they would like to do. Um, and, and, and that, that might create a, a pretty interesting, uh, buyer-seller dynamic in the, um, you know, in the, you know, the upcycle, however modest or large it might be, you know, 2021 20, through to 2023, 2024, which is probably the next cycle we're going to look at. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your insights today, Harley. Um, I know that you're a busy man, you know, basically running the place over at the HIA, and I don't want to keep you too much longer than, than necessary. Um, we'd love to hear from you again in the new year to, to chat about some of our forecasts and to see how they've come true. Um Again, thank you very much for all of your insights and um, for everyone out there, subscribe to the HIA and there's plenty of valuable insights for all of you out there. Um, Charlie, will, I mean, Harley, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank hey, you for your time. Thank you, mate.